Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Saints, I think I'm going to start in Second Chronicles 20. And um, and it came to pass after this that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon with them and some of the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea, from Syria. And behold, they are in Hazan Tamar. The same is in Gedi. A great multitude. You know, the Lord Jesus said that we would be hated of all nations for his name's sake. We have a great multitude uh, about to array themselves against the church of the Lord. You'd say, that doesn't make sense. There's a whole lot worse people out there <laughs> that they could go and make war with. But it's the spirit, isn't it? It's the spirit of the world or the spirit of Antichrist against the spirit of Christ. Um, Christ and Antichrist are going to be at war here. And so we need to understand exactly what's being taught in this lesson here. Verse 3 says, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Well, I can guarantee what most people would do. They'd be out there ready in the army, getting everybody ready, right? And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Well, that just rails against all sound worldly wisdom <laughs> except it's not so sound is it? it it is totally again you know uh the military has a saying that an army fights a war on its stomach and uh, here they've got the biggest army that's ever come against them and uh they're going to weaken themselves by going into a fast well there must be some secret here right <laughs> An army is coming and they fast, right? You know, it just reminds you of what Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It says, He hath said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. And of course we, we know in the text that uh, a demon has raised up all kinds of issues against Paul. But he says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, again, that rails against all worldly wisdom, you know. Um, 
people always like to negotiate with something terrible from a position of strength, but but uh, that's not spiritual. That's carnal. And um, Jehoshaphat feared the Lord. He knew he was in control. And he set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to seek help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. They came in their weakness to fight a war with God's power, right? And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Art not thou ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in thy hand is power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee, not even this great army, right? But they wanted God's power. They knew they didn't have it. And they wanted God's power, and they knew. Uh, I guess there probably would have been mass rebellion if they did not know that fasting was a way to God's power. They knew that their power wasn't enough. They needed God's power. And he said, None is able to withstand thee. Didst not thou, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? and give it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever. And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If evil come upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house and cry unto thee in our affliction, and thou wilt hear and save. Well, they're just repeating God's promise to them when they built that house. And um, they were proclaiming the promises. They were speaking the word. They were confessing God before men, right? And they were trusting in God's strength because they were quite willing to give up their own in this fasting situation. They also wanted to hear from God, and they wanted him to hear from them. And that's what fasting is all about, right? And now, behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sur, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came up out of the land of Egypt, but they turned aside from them and destroyed them not. Behold how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. It's a good thing at this particular time uh, they were walking with the Lord and they were in the favor of the Lord and the, and the Lord just brought the enemy against them so that he could whip them and so that they could gain a, a greater inheritance. He said, verse 12, 
O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. So, if you've got something too big for you, and you know it, and you need God's favor to do something miraculous, and you don't even know what to do, you don't even know what God can do, then fast and pray and confess his word. We've already seen that here, right, so far? Fast and pray and confess his word. And uh, they said, we have no might against this great company. And sure, they made it even worse by fasting. <laughs> but the whole point is, they were getting God's attention. And um, they were making sure that they could hear from God. Because when you fast, you definitely have heightened spiritual senses. Right? And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite, of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the assembly. Well, that's a good way to get it, is by fasting and praying and confessing God's word, right? Confessing his promises. And he said, Hearken ye all, Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord, Unto you fear not ye, neither be dismayed, by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. That's really good news. Um, the battle is not yours, but God's. Saints, we are about to face, for the same reason, I might add, the whole world coming against Christianity I know that much of Christianity doesn't even believe that, but they're going to be shocked. But um, the whole world is going to come against Christianity. And uh, we can see the seeds of it being sown even now. Um, an anti-Christian spirit is overcoming the world, much like an anti-Semitic spirit has overcome the world and was just as unreasonable then just as foolish then. But that's what demons do. They try to destroy God's people, try to destroy his inheritance. The battle is not yours, but God's. God said, my power is made perfect in weakness. And uh, Paul said, I will therefore glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Well, we need the power of Christ when the enemy is so big, so much bigger than us. In fact, we need the power of Christ when the enemy is small. Have you got a big enemy? It doesn't have to be an enemy army. It can be um, uh, any mountain in your way that you can speak to to cast it into the sea, right? 
The Lord gave us authority. Anything that's too big for you. It could be sickness. It could be a demonic oppression that you've had all your life and you're kind of used to it, but you hate it. It could be something that's just bigger than you. And you you tell the Lord, uh, well, we're standing before you. We're standing before your house. Uh, and we don't know what to do. <laughs> just like Josephat said, right? Our eyes are upon you, but we don't know what to do. And um, you can come to the Lord with fasting. Uh, it's a great way, as we've seen over and over and over through the scriptures, it's a great way to receive God's power, to have spiritual insight, to uh, gain his ear, etc., etc. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the ascent of Z's, and you shall find them at the end of the valley before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Well, now that's something that's um, a little more than usual, right? That they were not going to have to fight in this battle. Usually they fought trusting in God to give them the victory, and he gave them strength, and uh, the angels fought with them, and they won the battle, right? But in this case, they are evidently so weak <laughs> that God's power is so great that he's just going to do it all. Have you ever seen that? Well, I have. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourself, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. As you know, they didn't really go out and fight. They went out there worshiping God, right? Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, this is the ultimate of the Sabbath. You know what we've studied in the past, we've seen the less you do to save yourself, the more God will do to save you. The less you do to heal yourself, the more God will do to heal you. The less you do to deliver yourself and to provide for yourself, the more God will do to deliver you and provide for you. It's uh, the Sabbath. And we learn to enter into God's Sabbath, which is, of course, a day of us ceasing from our own works so that God can do his. God won't share his glory with another. He doesn't want to. And so I think the the multiplying of the fishes and the loaves was a good example of that. The more that they had to multiply, the less the miracle of multiplication was. And the less that they had to start with to multiply, the greater the miracle. And that just tells you the more weaker you are, the greater God's power will be involved. In this situation, 
Josaphat said, we have no might, uh, no might, wow, against this great company, right? He said, just go out, but the Lord's going to fight this battle. In verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Amen. Worshiping the Lord. Another thing you can do to um, bring the power of God is just worship and praise the Lord. You don't have to have a lot of wisdom against your enemy. They did not know what to do. He said, a great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. You don't need to have a lot of wisdom when God's wisdom is involved. Just remember, one of his angels killed 185,000 of their enemy. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with an exceeding loud voice, worshiping, praising. You know, that's the language of faith, isn't it? When do you praise the Lord? When you think it's already done, the battle's won. What did Jesus say? When you pray, believe you have received, and you shall have it. Right? Believe you have received. Many times you can worship and praise the Lord even though the enemy's still coming. There's no battle engaged, but you just know that he has answered. You'll notice that they believed their prophets in these days. And there's no prospering when you don't believe the prophets. They speak the word of the Lord. And... uh you know, people find themselves against a strong enemy and they don't believe the word of the Lord, they're in big trouble. They've fallen too far from God, right? And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Amen. And we get many things today um, that come in the form of prophecy. can be dreams, can be visions, can be prophesying, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. And uh, we need to believe the Lord when he says he will take care of it. And if you haven't heard that yet, well, they heard it after they fasted and prayed. And it comforted them and it brought faith to their hearts. And we know the same is true of the battle to come in this world. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed them that should sing unto the Lord and give praise in holy array as they went out before the army. 
and say, Give thanks unto the Lord for his loving kindness endureth forever. So his mercy, his loving kindness was with them. They went out before the army. That's another thing that's radically different than anybody would normally do, obviously. The praisers out there praising God in front of the army. Obviously, God planned on taking out the enemy before they ever got to him. <laughs> well, he did. Give thanks unto the Lord, for his loving kindness endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set liars in wait against the children of Ammon, against Moab, and Mount Sur that were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Oh, glory be to God. Well, praise God. You know, there is no numbering the ways that God has to save his people. He usually breaks up the monotony a little bit by doing it a little different than he did the last time. You know, praise be to God. He goes on to say, For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Sur. That's uh, Edom. That's uh, Esau's gang. You know, Ammon, Moab, and Edom. Utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they'd made an end of the inhabitants of Sur, everyone helped to destroy another. Well, this is how the Lord goes forth to fight as he fought in the day of battle. Right? He, he fought by turning the enemy against one another. And when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked upon the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth. And there were none that escaped. Whoa, none? None that escaped. Even the last guy standing didn't live. You know, if everybody's killing one another off, you'd think there'd be the last guy standing, but no, there wasn't any. He didn't live through it either. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches and dead bodies, well, I don't, don't believe that was a, except for the fact that garments were very expensive in those days. They couldn't turn them out like they do today, and you couldn't go to Walmart, obviously. I think that's probably what they're talking about. Even the Vulgate puts garments. But anyway, both riches, dead bodies, and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Oh, boy. And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Birakah. And that means blessing. Here was a, supposed to be the valley of slaughter, and it became the valley of blessing. For there they blessed the Lord, therefore the name of that place is called the Valley of Birakah, unto this day. 
Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. You can bet that was a celebration. Can you imagine? (laughs) Oh, praise be to God. Ain't God good, they say, right? Well, I tell you what, I'm going to look at Nehemiah chapter 9. Another great story. It says, Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. Now what brought about this fasting and this seeking after God and this separation into unto holiness, etc. Well, you know, he, there is a this whole chapter is about them confessing their sins and their failures and confessing God's awesomeness towards them and his mercy towards them. And then it ends with this, which was the reason for the fasting in the first place. He says, Behold, we are servants this day, verse 36, and as for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have power over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And yet for all this we make a sure covenant and write it, and our our princes, our Levites, and our priests seal unto it. And uh, the sure covenant was that they guaranteed that they would obey God's word. In fact, I'll read verse 29 to you. It says, They clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes, etc., etc. So, um, just a little background to this. If you remember, the people of God had been taken into captivity to the Babylonian Empire, who was uh, conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. And Cyrus was so impressed with the God of Israel, he was the Persian king, that he sent 
the riches that were plundered by Nebuchadnezzar back with Ezra and all the first fruits of the people from captivity to leave and go back to Jerusalem. And so Ezra took them, took the great gifts that the king had given, and went back to rebuild the temple. And, of course, there were the people of the land had now scattered out throughout the land that used to belong to Israel, and and it was resettled with the people of the world, uh, the tares, so to speak. And um, even when they built the temple, there was people in office there that weren't Israelites. And so tares were wandering in and out of the temple. And um, finally Ezra did some things to curtail that, but he wasn't able to do a lot because he didn't have a wall. And uh, Ezra began to separate uh, the foreign women uh, from the men of Israel. And that's a type, I believe, since it didn't say foreign men from the women, I believe it's definitely talking about a type concerning the apostate groups of Christianity, to us, that is, and that we are to separate from them, come out from among them and be separate, like Jesus' disciples did. They all came out of the apostate uh, congregations of Israel or denominations of Israel, and that's why he called them the church, the called-out ones. So anyway, um, Ezra and the first fruits went out to rebuild the temple. And let me say that this was the temple in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem represents, according to what God spoke to John in the book of Revelation, the bride. So here you've got a, a restoration of the bride. And which is Jerusalem, and the temple has been restored, and temple worship and temple sacrifice has been restored. What would the temple be in the midst of the bride but the spirit of the bride in whom dwells the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, right? But there was just one problem about this bride. Um, she wasn't sanctified in soul. Oh, yes, in spirit. She was, but not yet in soul, because there were these um, pagans, these tares, wandering in and out of their temple, which was totally illegal. And uh, But this bride needed a further sanctification of soul in which there was a separation, right? a separation of themselves from the foreigners. Now, the Lord's been doing that in the last few years. He's been separating the foreigners. It doesn't matter if you've actually been born again. If you're following foreign spirits, you're a foreigner. And um, he's been doing that. He's been separating like Nehemiah did much more than Ezra did to separate the people of God from the people of the land. He too had the problem of these people wandering in and out and causing stumbling uh, to God's 
people there, Sanballat and that bunch, you know, making war against them with their words and their um, wanting to call in the authority of the king. And, oh, just over and over they had trouble. And they finally had to resort to carrying the sword while they carried their trowel <laughs> to build the building, right? And uh, so the background here was uh, even as they were building the wall, they were still a small group in the middle of a country that was full of people that hated them. Nations of people that hated them and wanted to see their downfall. Nehemiah wouldn't even let them, you know, he had uh, restored the Sabbath. He wouldn't let them bring their wares into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. In other words, none of the works of the world can be brought into the bride on the Sabbath because she is to cease from her works, right? So the background was, of course, Ezra restored the temple, but Nehemiah, his heart was, and he got an edict from the king, the Persian king at the time, to come and um, restore the wall. Because the wall represents separation of God's people from the world, right? And uh, so now the bride is being sanctified. I believe that the wall is being built in our days. The wall is built by the Word of God. Because the Word of God, when you obey it, it separates you from the ways of the world, the enemies of the world. The wall was to keep the enemy on the outside and the good people on the inside, right? So this is a further sanctification of the bride. So with that background in mind, we see that even after they had built the wall, they weren't satisfied with that. They wanted their land back, and their land was being ruled by governors of the Persian Empire. And uh, they had resettled um, all kinds of other uh, tares in the midst of them. And um, they didn't want to live that way. So here you see they're, they're going to do something about it. That's much the state of the church today is um, there's no walls. Uh, they don't believe in the word. They haven't covenanted with God to keep his commandments like we saw in Nehemiah chapter 10. Um, and so there's no walls up to protect and to separate them from the world. And the world comes in to dilute and to corrupt the beast in the sanctuary, we call it, right? So let's go back to Nehemiah 9 again read that. It says, Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins. Now, you want power with God? Fast. Okay. And separate yourselves from the people of the world and their ways. Come out from among them and be ye separate. It don't matter if they're religious. It don't matter if they claim Jesus. If they're worldly, 
I mean, you're not to receive anything from them. You can give things to them that will help them, and you do it gracefully, of course, and you might have some success, you know. But you're not to accept them into your temple. You're not to accept them into your life. Beyond the walls of the bride, they're not supposed to be. And God has kicked out some from the bride in our in these last days, and he told us he was going to do that because they were not sanctified and had no interest in being sanctified. And so he's done it. He is sanctifying his bride. The wall is being built. The enemies are being put on the outside, and the righteous on the inside. But they stood and confessed their sin, another very important thing about humbling yourself before God. They confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Very important. I mean, we're told in uh, James chapter 5 and verse 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore the scripture saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Be subject, therefore, unto God. Uh, but resist the devil, and he will flee from thee. Draw nigh unto God, right? And he will draw nigh unto thee. And also, uh, chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess therefore your sins one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its work. Confess your sins, right? Here they were, confessing their sins to God before one another and uh, humbling themselves before God. This is a great way to get his ear. A stiff-necked person uh, who's not going to be obedient to the word, who's not interested in building that wall in their own life, they're not going to hear from God, and he's not going to help them because... They have brought, put, put themselves under a curse by being willfully disobedient. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, a fourth part of the day. Well, that's pretty good. That's neat. You know, the congregation reading the word of the Lord. Because that's what you build the wall with, right? And another fourth part, they confessed. And worship the Lord their God. They confess their sins. You want got power from God? Fast, pray, confess your sins, right? And obey the word of God. Repent of anything you're doing that's contrary to him. Take those steps and you'll definitely have God's ear. And Nehemiah was taking the first fruits of those to come out of bondage to build the wall. And he's doing it today, too. (laughs) And uh, then stood up upon the stairs, the Levites, Yeshua, and Bani, Kedmiel, Shebaniah, Abuni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shanani. And I'm not sure I'm getting any of these right, but I'm taking a shot at them, right? And uh, cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Yeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabaneah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, 
And Bethaniah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting, and blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou art Lord, even thou alone, and thou hast made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, and uh, the earth and all things that are thereon, the seas and all that is in them, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Thou art the Lord our God, who didst choose Abram, and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees, and gavest him the name of Abraham, which is the father of a multitude, and foundest his heart faithful before thee, and madest a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Jebusite, and the Girgashite, to give it unto his seed, and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous. And thou sawest the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heardest their cry by the Red Sea, and showest signs and wonders upon Pharaoh, and on all of his servants, and on all the people of his land. For thou knewest that they dealt proudly against them, and didst get thee a name as it is this day. And it is so also of uh, the saints who are getting ready to go into their wilderness in these days, that God is judging Egypt, which is a type of the world, who wants to keep God's people in bondage, and the old man who wants to keep God's people in bondage. The Lord is judging all of this so that he can set his people free, right? And thou didst divide the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their pursuers thou didst cast into the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, in a pillar of cloud thou lettest them by day, and in a pillar of fire by night, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Amen. Light and protection. He gave him direction. He gave him protection through the wilderness. Thou camest down also upon Mount, upon Mount Sinai and uh, spakest with them from heaven and gavest them righteous ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, the command and commandest them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses thy servant, and gavest them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought us forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and commandest them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sown, sworn to give them. But they and our fathers, this is a this is the repetition that goes through Nehemiah chapter 9 as he talks about the glory and the mercy of God and how much he's given unto his people and how little they appreciated it and how they rebelled against it and how they went back through the same cycle because they did. 
the same cycle of judgment and bondage. And verse 16 says, But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their neck and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey the people that God is separating from his bride. They refused to obey the word. And they're very proud about it and bold about it. And they just are the Lord God separates them to sanctify the bride. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their neck. And in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. Yeah, that too. That happens too. It's just amazing how the scriptures tells us thousands of years ahead of time what's going to happen. And uh, it's just astounding. God's word uh, repeats over and over and over. Man never learns from history, and God deals with them the same way. So we can pretty well predict what's getting ready to happen, right? But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and forsookest them not, even though they deserved it greatly. He was very patient for a long time before he turned them over, right? Yea, when they had made them a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt and had wrought great provocations. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsook them not in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud departed not from over them by the day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them and withheldest not thy manna from their mouth, and gavest them water for their thirst. He gave them the Spirit when they went into the wilderness to instruct them, to guide them, protect them, empower them, etc., etc. And here we are, about to have an awesome, awesome revival, just before the wilderness starts, at the very beginning of the wilderness, there is going to be a revival, because history always repeats. It's like a prophecy. You know it's going to happen. And also we've gotten words and dreams and visions and so on and so forth of this awesome revival to prepare God's people to go into this wilderness in which the whole world is going to hate them. Not only is the old world going to be turned into a wilderness, the Bible clearly says, but the whole world is going to hate them. And so, this is a, a uh, trial in the wilderness, which the New Testament, Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation 17 says is the tribulation. It is a tribulation, it is a trial for the people of God to go through in order to be sanctified, right? And I tell you, during these days when you have so many enemies and then the curse is going to devour the earth, you're going to need to learn to fast and pray and confess your sins 
and all these things that get the attention of God. Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. Isn't that neat? You wonder, how's the Lord going to sustain me when they start cutting us off from um, the flesh pots of Egypt, the giveaways of Egypt, right? Well, he's just going to do it. That's, that's his promise. Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and peoples, which thou didst allot after their portions. So they possessed the land of Sion, even the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Their children also multipliest thou as the stars of heaven. Yeah, even in that situation, their children were multiplying. Now, i got to tell you, but that's going to happen in more ways than one. It's not just talking about physical children. It's talking about spiritual offspring are going to be multiplied. Multitudes are going to come out of the world when they see the demonstrations of God, the judgments of God upon the world, the demonstrations of God through his people, the testimonies, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. Multitudes are going to come out of the world. And broughtest them into the land concerning which thou didst say to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. So the children went in and possessed the land. And thou subduest before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gavest them into their hands with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they took fortified cities and a, a fat land and possessed houses full of all good things, cisterns hewn out, vineyards, oliveyards, fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. And, you know, I can tell you, especially the bride because we are talking about Nehemiah and Jerusalem, uh, the bride is going to be blessed mightily. And like in the book of Esther, her ministry, of course, is to save the people of God. Then he goes on to confess sins again. It's like, okay, we're going to have a few verses of confessing sins and then about ten verses of praising God for his mercy and his grace and his unmerited favor towards us, and then we'll do it again. So that's exactly what uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 does. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their back and slew thy prophets that testified against them to turn them again unto thee. And we've seen that too, for goodness sake, you know, in a spiritual way. And they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou delivers them into the hand of their adversaries who distressed them. Now, saints, I, I got to tell you, there is a group of people who call themselves Christians who are going into bondage. At the same time, some are coming out of bondage. Uh, Nehemiah was dealing with the first fruits of God's people who were coming out of bondage. And this is talking about, of course, people going into bondage. Because they would not obey his word. They would not humble themselves. 
Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their adversaries who distressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their adversaries. That too is coming. But after they had rest, they did evil again. Yeah, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. When the Lord lets up and begins to bless the people, they begin to take it for granted. They begin to get lifted up in their minds and proud, and um, and they start doing the same things that let them into bondage before that. Down in verse 29, it says, They withdrew the shoulder and hardened their neck and would not hear. Yet many years didst thou bear with them, testified against them by thy spirit through thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear. Therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Yes, indeed. Verse 34 says, Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments and thy testimonies, therewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, and in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turned they from their wicked works. So we're back to where we started here. And um, the point being that we are in just such a day and heading into more of this same day that we're talking about here. And um, the people of God uh, don't understand uh, because they, in most cases, have ministers of the sanctuary that are not Levites. Uh, they followed the golden calf, so to speak. It's another Jesus, and uh, they need wisdom. And so I say uh, everybody ought to be fasting and praying for the people of God confessing sins and thanking God for uh, granting grace uh, to overcome such things. And, um, well, we'll continue next time on this. God bless you, saints. Thank you for being with us. And, Father, we just ask you to bless our brethren that are joining us today. And I pray, Lord, that you'll put in them a, a real respect for fasting and prayer and confessing of sin and uh, humbling ourselves and uh, so that you you will hear them, that you will bless our brethren, Lord, and that you will pour out your Spirit upon us and lead us in the, in the way that is good and in the way of the blessings. Amen. Thank you, saints. May the Lord be with you. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Can quench my thirsting soul, pure as water made me whole. Let
your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you.